computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z. Joined as always by Tim, aka Take That for Data, McBasketball. Tim. That's right, Tom. We hired Dave Fisdale this week. Jason Kidd is now the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, as we mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. So, not David Adelman, Rick Adelman's son, who you pined for at the end of the last podcast. Uh, so, what were your thoughts, Tim? I guess we'll dive right into the news of the week. Dave Fisdale. Yeah, I, so, I mean, my initial, initial thought was, crap, I have six pages on this other guy that we don't have to talk about now. My next thought was, like, I only know what is out there. I only know that they liked him in Miami. LeBron's a big fan. Dwayne Wade's a big fan. And then he went to Memphis and didn't perform well there, was fired in his second season. Not even didn't even get to finish the second season. Was was fired like 20 games in. Went to New York, same sort of thing happened. I immediately reached out to everybody I have contacts with on the Memphis side, the New York side, the Miami side to try to like get some more inside info and figure out like what he does. Because what he, he could be the offensive coordinator, he could be a defensive coordinator, he could be a generalist, he could be a player development guy. It's hard to know unless you like go ask. Not all the teams, like the Mavs will should tell you who does what, but a lot of teams don't. So from reaching out to those people, I have a better sense for where his strengths and weaknesses are. And I think I'm in between the po- people on, I see on Twitter that are either like loving it or hating it. I think I'm kind of in the middle. And no matter what you have to say about him, it's it's an upgrade from a like no <laughs> violent crime against women background in yeah. terms of that that spot. So an upgrade there. Yeah. And he only has a, you know, violent background against Marcus Gasol, which is, <laughs> you know, a lot better in, in all things considered. But uh-huh. Tim, kind of before we dive into kind of some of the things you heard about Fizz, the kind of person, the kind of coach he is, I wanted to just kind of talk to you briefly about the spectrum of roles as quote unquote offensive coordinators in the NBA mm-hmm. and yep. what that means for some teams isn't exactly what it means for others. And you and I were talking this week and something that I just I've always kind of felt that it almost doesn't matter as much to me who the offensive coordinator is because that person will not have the number one most influence over the off team's offense. And to me, that's LeBron James. So and I'm not saying it doesn't matter who you hire as an offensive coordinator. I think it's important to remember contextually that person is not like all at behind the wheel. Yep. Yep. I agree. And the Lakers don't have coordinators. A lot of teams don't even have coordinators. A lot of teams. So so you can have a couple different coaching setups, some setups that I have seen and worked with teams that are set up this way was on staff for they'll have a head coach they'll have their lead assistant who is like the right hand man or woman who's like has a ton of authority is delegating is in charge of the other coaches as well and then you have your your scouting your video team support staff but then among your other assistant coaches you could have people who are just a bunch of generalists they you know they know some offense they know some defense they all help you with drills they do a little bit of everything and 
you can have a staff like that that like then just either the head coach is figuring out what they want to run on offense or defense or they say ah this year we have a post player you know who has some good post play sets that you used to run in the past and that's how it works for a lot of teams at the college level and the high school level there will be other teams that do specialize where somebody like has ownership and is responsible for the offense. And that means they come up with the ideas. The head coach is still going to have the say, like you're saying, LeBron's still going to have that possibly have that final say. And I agree that he's very influential on what the team does. And if they come to him with stuff and he hates it, they're probably not going to run it, but he's probably not as much on the idea side of things i think he's more an approver than he is the like content generator he's more the editor than the than the writer so in that sense i do think who you pick can matter but even if we do get an offensive mind on the staff because the lakers don't have an offensive coordinator and again some teams do but the lakers don't that would just be one more mind among the whole staff that might have some good ideas. Maybe they'll get used. Maybe they won't even get past that coaching room and even on to LeBron. So the upside is more limited than if you did have someone that was solely responsible for that. But at the same time, I think you can look at like Frank Vogel's plays in Indiana versus Orlando versus here. And there's a a bit of consistency. You can look at the plays that like LeBron ran in all the different places he's gone to. And it's changed around because like Spo did things differently than uh, Black did, Lou did. Like there is change. And and a lot of it still centers around him, obviously, and a lot of mm-hmm. it centers around his ability to be a pick and roll ball handler, isolate post up. But there's a lot of nuance that you can build around that. So yeah, I agree. The Lakers, no matter what, should have the LeBron and AD offense. But how that is put together from like a deep X's and O's standpoint can take a million different forms. So so I don't want to oversimplify it and say it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because at the end of the day, he's going to ISO anyway. Right. And it has changed team by team. So it matters, but I agree with you. It doesn't it, it doesn't mean that you bring that one person in and they're the savior. Um, and at this point, unless the Lakers add an additional coach, right. which again, there's there's no salary cap for coaches. There's no limit on coaches. They can add an additional coach. Don't know if they want to, but if they did, we can we might still see some of this. And another route they could get to to add an additional offensive mind would be if Jason Kidd took folks to join his staff in in dallas but we have no at this point i haven't seen anything like that reported it's been more just hey if that happens who else are we looking for so we may not get that offensive guy i i like fizzdale i i don't know if he's you know an amazing coach that makes everyone around him better but i think what's important about this is that lebron likes him and trusts him i think is the clearest kind of answer we've gotten from him getting hired like this because mm-hmm. if we hired david adelman or, or another head coach who had the kind of juice we needed it still might take time and effort to gain lebron's trust agreed and that's just the personal human relationship side of things where lebron likes fizz Fizz is available and maybe now finally ready to get back into coaching. You know, maybe it was a Fizz thing that he didn't mm-hmm. get a job until now. Um, now I want to get into some of the things that you kind of heard about Fizz as far as how he operates in the locker room. And I'm not going to I'm not going to say flat out all the stuff you heard is kind of, is wrong or not true at all. I don't know. I want to investigate who said it, why they said it what they might have to gain from saying it, right? Mm-hmm. Because we do this with coach speak, with agent speak a lot too, right? Yep. Even with players, with Dennis Schroeder, which we'll get to later, saying I want $120 million. 
is he asking for 120 million dollars or is it like look is a lot better when he compromises yeah. for exactly it's positioning right it's framing it's it's right. taking a stance yeah yeah so how much of that do you feel like you've read and like i guess give the listeners a little rundown of what you've heard about fizz uh yeah. coming into this job now so i reached out to as many credentialed like on the ground media people as i could find these were people that had conversations with Fisdale, got to know him, got to be in the locker room and get a sense for how he interacts with the players, their thoughts on if he was a strong X's and O's mind or not. I took a little bit with a grain of salt because you never, I mean, that's, that's more stuff we can see on the film. And uh, I think offensively, it's not so great defensively. He, he had some strong stuff going on, but the, the play relations perspective of it was something that it's really hard to tell on paper or on film. So from speaking with them, the like collaborative, like the, the general sense I got, and there's a lot of consistency person to person in terms of how they said his style was and his personality and then how the different locker rooms reacted to him in Miami. He was responsible for the defense. He worked closely with their superstar players and did a really good job of building relationships. And actually he worked up through that organization under Spolstra from the video room all the way up. So he had a really good relationship with Dwayne Wade and that kind of carried over to LeBron a bit. And then he just strengthened that relationship. So those guys and, and, and Chris Bosch, like he was really good with their hall of fame guys uh, and built good relationships there. They had that heat culture going on. They won, he won two titles in the Miami, Miami organization. And then he went to Memphis next and the consensus and every single person I talked to from the Memphis perspective said that he came in thinking he'd be able to just immediately get the respect of everyone because he had the respect of LeBron and Dwayne and because he had those titles and on more than one occasion would outright tell the players like, Hey, I have two titles. Like you need to listen to me. It was basically the sentiment. And for the young guys in Memphis that worked, like they were on board. That's, that's, if you're just coming into the league, great. Like I want to work for a coach like that. For some of the vets, there was a little bit less buy-in. And, and so I was told that Mike Conley's good nature was taking advantage of, but Tony Allen, Zach Randolph and Marcus saw weren't buying what he was selling. They saw him more as riding the coattails of Miami's success than being the mastermind that was doing things in Miami. And actually, there were a lot of instances where I was told either this guy is like a used car salesman or he is like a snake oil salesman. He's a he's a salesman. He can sell himself. And we see when, that in when, podcasts, yeah. in, in articles. He's putting himself out there and he is shaping the narrative. So yeah. that is something to keep in mind. Whenever you do see something after his New York days, He's doing damage control because yeah. there have stories there have been stories that have come out saying he did this well or he did this poorly, and he's addressing the poorly part of it. So maybe he's right. growing and we'll get to that, but you never know. But he's very much a he's gonna sell himself kind of guy. And there were times where I found articles with quotes from him saying, I was responsible for this in Miami. Right. I made the team go positionless, play with pace. And then they talked to other people within the Miami organization that said, No, 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 that wasn't him, that was Spo. That was, that was Spolster that came up with that idea and drove that idea. He's taking credit for something he didn't do, which to me, it didn't happen a ton, but it happened a couple times. And that was that stood out. I, that, that was a little bit of a red flag. So he we know he sells himself. Mm, and OK, so to me, that's just like you can if Spolster told him to apply this note and he applied it and how it's executed he should deserve some credit. But yeah, of it wasn't course. how we phrased it, though. Again, I, I, I hear you. And there's uh, the yeah. answer to me is probably somewhere in the middle. 
And it's not mm-hmm. like, oh, don't believe anything Fizz says. He's only lying for clout. I don't believe that either. The answer is always somewhere in the middle. Sorry. I just, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I bet. So even if like Spolster came up with it and yeah. Fizzdale was saying he came up with it, he still applied it. He was still right. there day, day by right. day. And he probably still understands and is taking away those principles. And, right. and you know, to move a step further from that, I read through some of his clinic notes and videos and he talks a lot about defending the three on defense and scoring the three on offense and playing with pace. And those are a lot of the things he took credit for, was rebuffed a little bit in Miami, but still tried to do moving forward. So, you know, from a personality standpoint, eh, but we know those principles do matter to him. Um, So in Memphis, he got the vets traded away that didn't agree with him. Marcus was the one guy that was still there. And there were instances where he would either call out Gasol or another player just in front of everybody as the team was losing too. So like, you know, we talk about how like when you're winning, that solves a lot of issues when you're losing it. A lot of these things matter more and and stand out more. He would just rip apart somebody in a way that wasn't seen as professional. It wasn't seen as fair. It wasn't like, Oh, Hey Tom, you know, when you're making this read, your first read is the corner and then look to this way. It was more like, well, that was stupid, Tom. I can't believe you would make that read. This is the kind of bullshit that loses us games. Like that kind of like, you're just being nasty. You can coach and you can provide feedback in a, in a good way. This was providing the same feedback, but in more of a nasty way. So Mm -hmm. that, and we've seen it publicized with Marcus Saul and he wasn't happy with that. And they've since made up according to both of them. Um, but that was something that carried over then to his New York days where he would do some of those similar things. They weren't as publicized. Um, but in New York, same kind of situation. I heard the same things from them where he came in selling himself, felt he would immediately gain the respect of the locker room. It was a younger team. So he thought that would be easier and it wasn't quite the case. And he had a bunch of rifts within that locker room. And after he left, like even listening to like Julius Randall on JJ Reddick's podcast, they, they asked him like, what did you, what were you looking for? What were you craving in a coach that helped uh, Tibbs come in the door? And he said like the last staff, like didn't hold me accountable. I found so many examples of these times where like I wasn't being coached, which is like the dramatic, like opposite end of the spectrum from ripping someone to shreds in public. Um, so in terms of providing feedback, he, I hope has fine tuned his approach and he wrote in, uh, either it wasn't the player's tribute. It was, I don't remember the name of it, but he, he basically had like a, it might've been the player's tribute where he had like a first person. Here's what I've learned. Here's, you know, how I'm a, I'm a better person, a better coach, yada, yada. And he gave me another job article yeah it was the like uh, i'm working with my agent to make sure i can write an article mm-hmm. about how i've learned from again my read between why investigate why they're saying what exactly they exactly so to me he's got he's demonstrated a consistent pattern of struggling to build relationships with role players and mm-hmm. going in and not really caring for what happened in the past a a, a big thing i heard in memphis was he didn't care about their grit and grind era he didn't respect it he didn't and and all of that was communicated he was like that like i don't care about your previous accomplishments that shit doesn't matter we're going to do things my way same thing with like marcus all winning like euro league title he's he's like that's fake those are fake titles we're gonna run we're gonna win real ones and i've won two real ones you need to listen to me and like that's just not how you deal with people so We've seen the again LeBron and Wade, those Miami guys, they liked him. But he went to two situations in a row where he right. almost went in entitled. And now we have to think about so strengths, he's a good defensive mind. I don't know if that matters, because we've got some good ones there. Not really adding much on the offensive end. He's not a player development guy, but 
he one of his strengths is supposedly change management basically if i were to boil it down being able to be that liaison between the coaching staff and the star players in terms of getting them to buy into a schematic change or a role change Mm -hmm. and he is someone that if the lakers were to go out and hire an additional offensive coach i would see fizdale's value going up because then there's additional change he can help manage whereas if he's the only change it doesn't like that skill set doesn't matter as much but on a day-to-day basis it absolutely matters the culture matters the day-to-day player relations matter um but he's not someone you bring in to like fix the offense or or player development or like we have the defensive mind so his defensive skill set you know aligns with vogels uh actually in different stylistically different schematically but he is a strong defensive mind so maybe that adds some value but at the end of the day i think what he'll be doing is similar to what kid did where he was providing feedback and helping execute in a generalist kind of way what the coaching staff decided they want to do and be a liaison with AD and LeBron. And given his prior relationships with LeBron, I bet he performs well in that role. So it's a mixed bag. I really hope he's learned from his experiences. If he hasn't, it can be a little iffy, but the magnitude of that negative impact is smaller as an assistant than as like a head coach. We're not going to hear he lost the locker room because he's an assistant coach. So yeah. the, the downside is low. Well, what the he upside could do is, is create factions and put kind of whisper. Like people thought that Jason Kidd would be Littlefinger, right? Mm-hmm. And overall, like from the outside, it doesn't seem like he had too much influence or negative kind of, you know, like uh, whatever you want to call it, puppet mastery yep. behind the scenes. It seemed, you know, and honestly, what you're describing, it sounds like Fizz is capable of a little bit more of that than maybe Jason Kidd is. But it, yeah. it, it, it's not unfair to say that flat out, like that mm-hmm. is right. We don't that know the guy. True. We don't yeah. know this but guy. It, we don't know the guy, but everyone I talked to that knew Fizdale said two things. They said he is absolutely a used car salesman and I loved talking to him and he, our relationship was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He, he knows how to work the media and he knows how to present himself and his team. And that has its pros, but those people were also like, he, I know, you know, we had these great conversations while at the same time I knew he was kind of selling me. So, so I thought that was interesting. Consistent feedback. The consistency still- is striking to me. I still think Fizz is the kind of personality that is, whether or not he is right or not, going to disagree with you when he thinks that he is, right? So I think there is value in that. And of course, like he's a t- talented basketball mind for him to get this far and rise up through the Miami mm-hmm. organization and find success. You know, it's just because it might come off as him taking credit for some of Miami's successes doesn't mean some of those successes aren't his own, regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not he had three Hall of Famers and a Hall of Fame coach in front of him. Yep. You know, he can still succeed and be a star in his role within that and contribute. And maybe he takes more credit than he deserves, but it doesn't mean he isn't helpful or good at his job. So all those considered, one thing I that that's picking at me, Tim, I keep thinking about is... This is, I don't know if clearly is the right phrase. This smells like a front office hire to me rather than a Frank Vogel hire. Now, it was less than, you know, like just under nine months ago, he won a title in the bubble in Orlando. And I'm sure the Lakers front office kind of got, you know, um, bad date vibes from the Luke Walton coaching staff 
uh, you know, just like never going to let that happen again. I'm going to listen to the red flags. Mm-hmm. What do you how do you feel about a coach not being able to pick one of his top assistants and how that could or could not, I guess, you know, be a good or bad thing? I think Vogel's feedback is important. And if we translate this to just like the business world, if you have your CEO and they're hiring their senior staff, they shouldn't just be handpicking everybody. There should be some extra vetting going on because it's easy for like nepotism or cronyism or like you can have, you can run into oh, bad yeah. situations because they're not, it's not like a, a objective, you know, criteria to be part of that senior leadership yeah. group. It's like a kingdom at that point, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. And that might be okay for a little bit, but odds are that CEO or that head coach hasn't looked at all of the opportunities for new assistants every single chance and found the best people all the time. It's it's just hard to expect that sort of thing. So while Vogel pick handpicking everybody, you have those strong relationships. It's more like in in the trenches than like a business world sort of position. You want some of that. You want his input. But at the same time, I do think it's valuable for the front office to be able to say, hey, we recognize that you're weak here. And we want to bolster the staff in this way for the role that Jason Kidd did and was successful in with him out the door. We need someone that can do that role. And Fisdale isn't going to come in as your like offensive mind. His defensive stuff is like his defensive optimization ratings as a head coach were average. Like he, he's more defensive minded, but like that's not what you bring him in. He's not a player development guy. I see him being brought in to fill the Jason Kidd role. And I feel OK about that. I the angst I feel is just because I think that the front office should be seeing that they need more of an offensive mind and either Vogel and or the front office haven't. And that is where I feel angst moving into next season because I'm expecting a lot of the same types of offense. And this was a team that had like the 24th offensive rating, obviously had injuries, but like you shouldn't be worse than like the Hornets, Knicks, Bulls, Spurs, Warriors, Wizards. Some of those teams had injuries or weren't good like the offense can be much better and the nuance of how you run your superstar driven offense can, can improve as well. So if they're not replacing it with bodies, I really hope they're spending time this offseason the way that Vogel and his staff did before the bubble, really digging into like self scouting and what we can improve upon. And it's hard to, we won't know that until next season happens, but that is if they're not adding in additional people to help with this, that's where the improvement would have to be driven from along with health, obviously. Yeah. In a perfect world, a great assistant coach hire goes like so under the radar that no one notices. And it's Mm -hmm. like a sideline reporter hit in like game three of a surprise series that you weren't expecting to make. You know, how great this assistant's been. Yeah. Like how, what was the last, how often to do like conference final coordinators get poached? And I was like, I have no idea, man. Like I, when do we hear, we don't hear about these things. We hear about the head coach moves or the former head coaches joining staffs, but we don't hear about the David Adam, David Adelman's of the world. We don't hear about about the assistants fighting with their players, like in Indiana, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. We don't hear about the Kevin Youngs, the Suns offensive coordinator, who's a superstar Mm -hmm. genius Mm-hmm. He was a name on my short list. I wanted. I was planning to talk about today, but <laughs> don't really need to talk about Mike. Mike Weiner, uh, Rick Carlisle's offensive coordinator, another guy that like you're not hearing about these dudes because it, that's just the league doesn't care about that. The fans yeah. don't care about that. 
Yeah. You're an assistant. Go do your assistant stuff. The head coach is responsible for everything, and the players are responsible for everything. Yeah. And and like so, yeah. it's just not where the media or the attention is at this point. All right, well, let's take a little quick break here. We're going to come back and talk about uh, little sh- comments about Dennis Schroeder's next contract and uh, maybe a little Andre Drummond. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Okay, and we're back. I didn't realize this until somewhat recently, but this whole Dennis Schroeder apparently asking for you know a deal in the range of 100 to 120 million came uh from the vice president of the german basketball federation who said quote dennis Schroeder's communicated this clearly he wants 100 120 million which he will probably also get and the sum insured cannot be insured on the normal market at the moment uh armin andres said so We've seen this in the beginning of the season where he went to German newspaper, German magazine to talk about being a starter for the Lakers, which not to say we weren't expecting him to be a starter, but he called his shot, you know, halfway across the world. He's trying to do it again through other means. He's trying to call his shot. He's already turned down a four for 84. And I mentioned it kind of briefly at, at the top, but do you feel like this is um, a standard posturing, reframing the conversation to say, yeah, I came back for less money than I wanted, Lakers. That's how much I love you and want to be here. Or is this him trying to say, hey, Cleveland, hey, New York or whoever you want to call it, pay me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. If it were just the comment, which and, and, and we hadn't heard about him declining the offer that he got earlier this year, that four for 84, I would say it's probably posturing, but based on the fact that he turned down over 20 million a year, I I bet there's a good bit of this that is real. And he thinks he's very valuable. And 
I am interested to see what happens because the general consensus wisdom of the crowd doesn't see him that valuable. He's, I I put out, did you see the, I put out a, uh, it's on all our ideas. Where did you, so he ended up being, so I put together a list of all the free agents through this website and anyone can go on. And basically what it does is it shows you two players and you have to pick one. And if you do enough of those and we have enough people doing it and we have like 60,000 votes at this point, it builds an aggregate list. So not every individual person that participates have to, has to evaluate, you know, 150 people at the same time. They just have to pick head to heads and it does all the math and figures it out from that. These are the point guards or, or lead guards that ended up above shooter. Chris Paul, Lonzo ball, Kyle Lowry, Spencer Dinwiddie, Mike Conley, Alex Caruso, Reggie Jackson, THT, and Campaign. So he ended up being 10th. Of those nine guys in front of him, are there any that you think he should be rated higher than in terms of like their value this offseason? I mean, okay. Right now, Dennis Schroeder is a considerably better player than Taylor Horton Tucker. But is he more valuable? I agree. I agree with you. Right. Probably but, not. Okay. Not significantly. I think they're close enough to current talent-wise and the right. age differences are enough that, that THT, I agree with the people here that I'd put yeah. THT slightly ahead. Yeah. But it's also at the fact where I think the Lakers need Schroeder more next year and what Schroeder does – Barring a, a a big leap from THT and like shooting or something, you know, or or off ball defense, barring mm-hmm. a huge leap from THT, I think the Lakers will have a harder time replacing what Schroeder does than missing out on the upside of THT's youth and and potential. I I'm a little I think they're a little bit closer, or at least this past year I think they were closer and. I think that it's also interesting because they do a lot of the same sorts of things. Like it's not like a Schroeder versus. Uh, Alex Caruso kind of guy. I think they're mm-hmm. both like their main thing is they get to the rim. And at least from the, the data that, that we're tracking, they were really similar in that. And Schroeder's already a little bit behind THT or right with THT in terms of getting to the rim from a shooting standpoint, he's higher than THT, right. but given, but not uh, so I, significantly. I was doing not. Yeah, exactly. Not enough that I think he'll continue to be ahead one or two years from now, given just yeah. like the average growth for a guard that's THD's yeah. age going into next season, we would expect on average. And again, this is on average. It can go in a bunch of different ways. On average, we'd expect him to be shooting better from three than Dennis Schroeder, if given the same shot quality. And the off-ball defense is a weakness for both of them. It's just more of a weakness for THT. And it's hard to track whether or not that'll like, it's hard to have a good grasp on if that'll grow or not. Cause it can, it's the type of stuff that's very fixable but if it's not a focus and the player's not, you know, focusing on it mentally and in and, and playing that game in the game, it's easy for it to not be addressed. And like a guy like Dennis Schroeder, he's been a poor off-ball defender just like rotationally for uh, for a couple mm-hmm. years. And he's a little bit older. So for, for, I, I don't know if THT's age necessarily helps him there. So I, I don't know. I get it. I would if I had to invest in one of them moving forward, THT for sure. But if it's a just next year, it's right. really tight for me. It's hard. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment completely because THT, I think, will be a good player in this league. He already is, you know, significantly talented in some areas, but it's the, yeah, the, the shot inconsistency, the um, the space cadetness on defense, you know. Mm-hmm. It would be great if he could um, become that on-ball defender past that Schroeder can be. 
Mm-hmm. And he has and some of the tools. He has the tools. No, physically, you know, see him rip balls away from guys. He's got strong, quick hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but with any kind of high level scorer, they can move THT around, you know, dri- dribble yeah. moves, fakes, and kind of get to wherever they need to be. Um, not saying mm-hmm. Schroeder is a lockdown stop you guy, but there's a little bit more discipline that comes with playing in the league for seven more years than a guy. Right. Yeah, we've been compiling. We've been, so I've been redoing our perimeter defense and interior defensive talent grades at B-Ball Index for our like 2.0 versions. And one of the like components going into that overall grade is on-ball defense. And year after year, shooter has been pretty good. Or at least recently, he didn't used to be nearly as good in the past, but like recently, he's been he's been really strong there, and he is one of those guys that's gonna like get in your face, and mm-hmm. that definitely watching film stands out and will leave more as a takeaway than like a better positional defender like Alonzo Ball, who he'll still get those steals and stuff, but like he's just always in the right place at the right time. That doesn't like stand out. That's not like a guy you pine for, uh, but it's still effective, still impactful. So. I, I think I agree. It'll be interesting to see what the Lakers do because if Schroeder is truly the 10th ranked point guard from a who's going to offer him a contract standpoint heading into mm-hmm. the offseason, I don't know where he gets the, the money he's asking for. I don't know where he gets f- four years, $84 million. If he leaves the Lakers, if he walks away, they replace him with a minimum player, basically, or they're they're – uh, taxpayer MLE. So huge downgrade from a talent standpoint. But at the same time, if Schroeder doesn't come back to the Lakers, I don't know where else he's going to get that money. So I think if I were the Lakers, I would go into the situation and say, hey, Dennis, our opening offer is this. I don't know, four years at maybe 15 or 16 mil a year. And you can take your time, go talk to other teams, see if you can get another offer. This offer is on the table. And you know, go take your time, go figure it out. Not in a, like if they go into free agency and have to immediately make a yes, no decision, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bad process. They need to like give him a chance to go gauge his market because right now what he thinks his market is, isn't where his market is. So that differential in his mind of his value is leading to the demands he's asking for. And I agree 120 is probably even higher than he expects to get, but even the 484 is higher than he's truly valued in this market so if he goes out and he's talking to the spurs who will likely have cap space he's talking to the knicks he's talking to some of these other teams and they're not giving him offers close to 15 16 mil a year he'll go back to the lakers and he'll take that because it's still more than you should pay him but it's enough that it should be higher than what other teams will offer him so i think as the lakers you just have to not piss him off initially give him a, an offer that matches his market let him gauge the rest of the market and then and then come take it i i have no nothing to base this off of uh, other than my knowledge of how the lakers run their stuff i would be surprised if they offered him a contract that was less than 4 for 84 um just based on the kind of i don't know <sighs> It, it, it's a shrewd move and, and not wrong, not wrong, but the Lakers are not generally shrewd with their players. And that is the kind of thing we've talked about before, right? Where fans of the other teams think the Lakers are, get lucky by getting LeBron James mm-hmm. and these superstars. When in fact it's institutional loyalty and institutional and, and nepotism to be fair, fair, it's almost to a bad end a lot yeah. of times. I agree the Lakers, they do that a good bit. 
why I think this might be different is because of how Schroeder's approached it. I think mm-hmm. the way you treat your Jordan Farmars, your Kobe Bryant's, either either excellent player or good role player who like bought in, that's a little bit different from Dennis Schroeder, who before he started a game said he needed to be that starter and is putting all these things out there, doesn't seem to be ha- as happy with his role. Right. I don't think they look at that as the good soldier that's going to get you know, the thank you deal, the, you know, we're going to treat you part of the Laker family sort of thing. You can't be, I, I think there's a line where you, you don't want to be walked over like Schroeder might be trying to do, but you do want to take care of the folks that have taken care of you. And I think he's on the yes. wrong side of that. But I, again, like you're saying, I wouldn't be surprised. I just if feel he, if he did get that offer that for the team to undercut their own offer would be, I'm not trying to say like a sign of disrespect, but it's you know what I mean? It's a we're not as serious about retaining you. And I don't think that the Lakers want to project that because they don't have any recourse if he walks. Right. So, yeah, it's just straight up. a like it's like when you go on 2K, right? Like trying to shave a couple million off. And this dude's just like, I'm no longer talking (laughs) to you. you. And I'm not talking to you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That happens, though, right? It does happen. And if it does happen, he's going to go somewhere else and get like. That's fine. Twenty five million for three years. Yeah, or go for it. So, so, yeah, this is from so, Christian Rivas and Silver Screen Roll. Just for context, uh, only 11 point guards in the NBA are set to make 30 million dollars for the 2021 season. And only one of them hasn't made an all star or an all NBA team in the last five years. And that's Jamal Murray. And he's going to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, he's not going in next year. Um yeah, it's it's just way way off from reality. Yeah, it's way and, and if you do give him that deal, it is not movable. No, it is nowhere close to like for him to justify that deal. You might as well trade him for Kemba Walker. He, yeah, he would have to be so good. It turn that's one of those deals that ends up being stretched, or yeah. you go trade the OKC Thunder him in a first round pick or two exactly to just get off of it to get Kemba. That, that's how bad a deal that because. Our money people index has him at around thirty-one million over the next, I think it was three years or three or four years. So like that is way so like off from him wanting a hundred level. Yeah, kinda, he's like a good, good backup, backup point guard. Point guard. Yeah. He's a good backup point guard. Yeah, he is not a he's not an average starting point guard, and he's right. asking for top tier starting star point guard, point guard money. Yeah. So at a certain point, do you, so, Tom. Do you think? If, you know, everything happens to play it out all the right ways, he gauges his market, he comes back and still says either I, you give me 20 mil a year or I walk, are you giving him 20 mil a year for four years? Or do you let him walk, trust that THT can fill the void and and pick up a another point guard for cheap? This is Because this is, it's legitimately a tough situation. It's a very impossible thing. I think I would lean on the side of giving it to him. If he were slightly older, I wouldn't. But the fact that he still got some legs, I think, under that contract makes me feel a little bit better. And now, if you do this, you make him a staple for the next four years. So you make it exponentially so more the, likely you sign him again in yeah. four years. Yeah. That, and then you got to go trade what I don't want. Yeah. Right. And if right. you're going to do this, what I can easily see happening is the Lakers give him 20 mil a year. On that deal, we go into next year, and by like the f- second month of the season, it's obvious that THT is better. Right, and this is already a guy who's been like unhappy Ugh. with his role, and like think of the differential between terrible. like it's just a really crappy situation. And at that point, do you trade THT, or do you pay to trade away 
Schroeder or do you just have a really bad locker room issue? That's where mm. it's like he should be – like he's an asset, but at a certain point, given the money and given how he might treat the situation compared to THT being right there, that looks tricky to me. And so what I'm thinking is if they do give him that money, they're much more likely to then go tr- trade THT and try to right. make a move that involves th- THT. Right. So, and I know Laker fans oh, want the Dennis Shooter sign and trade, but that is just it, no there's a very few circumstances where it makes sense for both teams. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And maybe an Eastern Conference team who's cash strapped. I mm-hmm. it's definitely possible. And I'm not ruling it out completely, but it's the savior uh, uh transaction that is just that. That's like what we're praying for, but we'll probably never get. Exactly. Know? And so something we've also been doing on the Discord over the past couple of days is picking a team or two per day, another team. So we've done Atlanta, we've done Phoenix, we've done a couple other teams, and and saying what are what's our goal for this offseason? Who are we bringing back? What mm-hmm. kinds of free agents are we targeting? Really working through their whole basic like what's the logic of what they'll want to do and not want to do based off of that. Who from their team should we not expect to be able to mm-hmm. chase realistically? Who from their team? will be available what free agents will have what kind of demand so it's going to take it's going to take a week or two before we have a clear picture and have looked at everybody but just based on what we've looked at so far i'm not seeing te- look we've seen teams with cap space i'm not seeing teams with cap space that would pay teach or would pay dennis schroeder the money he wants compared to like going and throwing the bag at cameron Payne. yeah or it, like Going and throwing a bunch of money at THT. on top of getting a value back with the contract you're bringing back and, exactly. and not having a bloated, uh, you know, non team friendly yeah. deal. The, the only there's not, I get, I would, <laughs> I and would you, love to bet more money that THD won't get or uh, right. Schroeder won't get signed and traded, but I know you wouldn't take that. And, and um, you know what, Tim, I mentioned this last week with the trades pod, we got to keep that pick, man. We got no one else, every single young player is up. That cheap contract that's so valuable, mm-hmm. they're all gone. Yep. Kuzma, Caruso, Kuzma got THT, his money. Yeah. All of them. So it's time to restock the coffers in that respect to me and why I'm less kind of willing to trade uh, a 21 or 22 pick just for like a slight upgrade at uh, Joe Ingles because, mm-hmm. you know, it, for long term success where you got to balance, right? Short term, short term viability, trying to win a title with. You know, not be, you know, doing what happened to us post Kobe again. It's tough, man. You really got to play two different songs at the same time, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm still thinking I'd make the trades and, and do what I can to win a title now and then live with consequences. But I definitely understand trying to play both sides. In yeah, THT. 27, you know what I mean? It, you know, you don't want to yeah. just put it all in and then have to trade AD when he's 31 or something. Because yep. he's not happy. Yep. So I it's, don't know. It's a That's tough all one. I got. That's all I got too. And and I gotta get out of here. But I will monitor. We'll see if any other news comes out. We know Drummond wants to come out, come back. We'll see if the Lakers bring him back. If they sign Truder for twenty mil, don't trade anything, and then bring Drummond back on that MLE and basically make no moves and add no no new offensive minds. You can just Venmo me now. <laughs> I might. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be cuz then you truly are going all in on saying this team if healthy would have won the title. I think that team if healthy beats Phoenix 
And given, you know, the next couple rounds of injuries and stuff like that, maybe gets to to this point. I don't know if they would have beaten the Clippers. Uh, yeah, but I they got to be they next year's teams, not this year's teams, right? Yeah, that's a, that's that's, a flawed logic there because that's a good point. Everyone's going to get better. We shouldn't assume that every team's like best player, second best yeah. player is going to get injured. Yeah. yeah. So it's this roster, if healthy, I don't think would have won the title this year. I think even less so would win the title next year. Right. Because at that point, THC's going to improve. Who else is going to improve versus just be healthier? Maybe Anthony Davis's ability to like score in the clutch and be a number one versus a number two. But that's asking a lot, too. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's tough. So we'll, tough. we'll be here to unpack all this. We're still yep. going weekly. Uh, I think we've settled into Fridays and our off-season kind of release time. So mm-hmm. check that out. Follow us on Twitter and message us with a five-star review to get in our Discord. Yeah, we're getting close. I think the next couple of weeks we'll start to dig in some into some free agent options. We mm-hmm. can look at the draft because the draft is coming up, and have some of our some uh, you know our trusted draft people, maybe Mark, Mike Garcia or somebody, get on here and let us know who we should be wanting the Lakers to go for if they do make a, uh, don't make a trade and do tra- draft somebody. Uh, yeah, that's what's going on. So yeah. you know, stay stay tuned. See see what's happening next week, and we'll see who else wants twenty million dollars, but. Hopefully. Oh, are you giving THT the max? Yes or no? <laughs> I mean, they don't really have a choice. Well, they can, they can't give him what's his, what is his max? Uh, so based on the arenas rule, I think over the next couple of years he can only make like eleven, eleven or, or twelve. Yeah, yeah, but then absolutely. after, then I think the third year he can make the max. I think they'll probably do like two for twenty four or whatever that you know. Okay. With a player option or something, mm-hmm. but. I don't know. It's hard yeah. to say because, you know, uh, having you kind of shop him around to other teams, some teams are interested and some teams aren't. So and I think there's a le- legit argument. If I was going to neg THT, why I wouldn't give him a max mm-hmm. like 20 million a year. Uh, cause yeah, that seems like a bit too much. But yeah. we'll save that all for the future. Uh, until next time, we'll talk to you later.